0: Good morning and happy. Morning, Sabbath. Good morning. Waiting is annoying, especially when you know what's coming next, because almost everyone in the audience finished my sentence for me. Good morning and happy Sabbath. As Americans, we spend a lot of time and energy making sure we don't have to wait, yet we end up waiting all the time. We wait in doctor's offices, dentist's offices. We wait in line at the grocery store and the bank, even with the self-checkout lines. We still end up waiting. We wait to turn a certain age so we can do certain things. We wait to get our dream job, to get a raise, to achieve some goal. As Adventists, though, we have something much more specific that we've been waiting for since before Adventism was actually its own thing, since the Millerite movement of the early 1800s. I'm, of course, referring to Jesus' second coming. And the fact that the Millerites truly believed that Jesus was going to come on October 22nd, 1844. Now, obviously that didn't happen. But Adventism, Seventh-day Adventism, was born out of that. And in our name is the fact that we still believe that Jesus is coming true coming soon, Adventists. We believe in the second Advent. But the wait for Jesus to come again started long before the Millerite movement. It started as soon as Jesus went to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, we find the disciples and Jesus interacting shortly before the ascension. And the disciples, even after all of the time that Jesus had spent with them before the crucifixion, even after 40 post-resurrection days that they had spent together, the disciples still didn't quite get Jesus's mission. And this is very evident in Acts chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight." Now this statement was probably very confusing to the disciples, because they had just asked if the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel, and Jesus' response was, you are going to receive power. And there were probably those among the disciples that believed that the power they were going to receive was something that was going to help them. Restore the kingdom to Israel. They thought they knew what was coming next. However, they were wrong. (laughs) A week later, on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't what they were thinking it was going to be. It wasn't this power that was going to help them take back what the Romans had taken from them, their freedom. It was a power much greater than that. In chapter two, it says, "'When the day of Pentecost arrived, "'they were all together in one place, "'and suddenly there came a sound from heaven "'like a mighty rushing wind, "'and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what followed is easily one of the greatest sermons of all time. It's an evangelist's dream what happened, because at the end of the chapter, it says that 3,000 people were baptized because of one sermon. This would be like going into downtown Seattle, a city that knows about Jesus and doesn't really believe in Jesus, and standing on the street corner and preaching a sermon and having 3,000 people say, you know what, you're right, I want that. It doesn't happen in America. These are the kinds of stories that you only hear about these days happening in a mission field. This kind of spiritual harvest doesn't really happen. As a child, I was very, very excited for Jesus to come. I was very excited for heaven. I had very big plans. I was going to have an ice castle a tiger was certainly going to be involved, possibly a snow leopard, and it didn't matter if my dreams seemed unrealistic because it was going to be heaven. And that didn't matter because everything was going to be completely different from what I had experienced at that point. And my teachers in Sabbath school supported this idea that there was going to be something much grander that I could ever dream of when I reached heaven. But one day, that dream was shattered. And it wasn't on purpose. I was, one could say, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I overheard some of the adults talking, some of whom were the Sabbath school teachers. And one of them made a comment about Jesus coming soon. And one of the other gentlemen there in the group said, yeah, right. That's what our parents said. That's what their parents said. That's what their parents said. What makes this generation any different? We've lost hope. We've stopped believing in the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 14, even before he died. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised that he was coming again. But we've lost that hope in so many ways. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is we're actually still waiting on another promise that is supposed to be fulfilled before the second coming. And this promise is actually very, very similar to the one that the disciples received at the Ascension. Not a lot of people perhaps know about this because it's found in the Old Testament. And for whatever reason, perhaps the fact that the God of the Old Testament is hard to deal with in the context of the God of the New Testament, but for whatever reason, People don't open the Old Testament very often. But today we're going to. We're going to open the Old Testament to Joel chapter 2. And Joel chapter 2 is talking about what the author terms the day of the Lord. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, the day of the Lord is a term used in prophetic books of the Bible to refer to the second coming. And you can see that in this text, there's some of the same signs that are talked about in other places. There's a trumpet, there's earthquakes, there's darkness, there's fires. And these are all things that are generally associated with the second coming. But after he talks, the author talks about these signs, the author transitions into talking about, during this period of time, people coming back to the Lord. And then the Lord, in his compassion, forgiving the people for the things they had done. And after these things happen, there is a promise for the Holy Spirit. We pick up in Joel chapter two, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit. You see, we're still waiting on a promise of a pouring out of the Holy Spirit, like what happened in Acts. And I have high hopes for this outpouring. I really hope that one day we can walk into downtown Seattle and we can preach a sermon that makes 5,000 people say, I want that. Recently, I had a very trying experience with waiting. About two years ago, a little over two years ago, I met a young man. We started dating, and around Christmas break of this school year, we started talking about whether or not we wanted to get married, and we discovered that, yes, we do actually like each other enough to spend the rest of our lives together. So, we started talking about, well, when do we want this to happen, and we decided, the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020. So we started talking about, uh, well, wh- what do we want to have for this for the wedding? Um, when do we want it? Are there specific dates? But while we were talking about this, there was there was one little little issue in my mind: um, the fact that we weren't engaged presented slight problems for me. Because here we are talking about planning a wedding, talking about spending the rest of our lives together, and he hasn't even asked me to marry him. And it was very, very stressful. And I started worrying, like, oh, what if he doesn't actually want to marry me, and he's just saying this to make our relationship last a little longer? What if he's like planning on breaking up with me? Oh my goodness, this is the worst. And it started rubbing off on the people around me, particularly my best friend who also, at the time, lived with me. And it got so bad that she actually called him up and said, hey, when are you proposing? You need to get this done, man. You need to do this. But we saw each other again, and it didn't happen. And I was so stressed out. Two weeks ago, um, he took me to one of his favorite places um, to show it to me. It was the first time I'd been there. And while we were there, he proposed to me. So. yes? I said yes, yes. I did. <laughs> as stressful as the waiting was, What we had said, what we had talked about did actually happen. However, we're not actually married yet. We're only engaged. But I have this. I have a ring. I have a sign, a promise that come December 21st, he is actually going to marry me. We have a promise that Jesus is going to come. And it might not be today or tomorrow. It might not be this week, this month, this year, this decade. But we have a promise. We have the assurance that Jesus will come, that he will pour out his Holy Spirit on us, and that he will come again and take us to heaven. That where he is, there we may also be. I'd like to read for you the words that Peter spoke to the people after he had preached this soul winning sermon. They asked him, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for you. It's for everyone whom God has called. Hold on, friends. Have hope, because God will follow through. Jesus will fulfill his promise, and he will come again. But for now, wait with the assurance that you know.